This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. It was a lively meeting uh, yesterday at Hamilton City Hall as representative from Metrolinx uh, appeared before City Council to talk not about LRT, but about all-day go service. Remember the promise for all-day go service? That's uh, quite some time ago now. And, uh, well, some would suggest the province is moving in that direction. They've certainly done that with the North End Go Station. And uh, the promise, of course, of getting the one at Centennial Parkway. And the plan is, of course, to extend that eastward towards even Casablanca. But when does the service start? Go stations are nice. They're pretty. They're lovely. But if there's no trains running... What good are they? Donna Skelly, Ward 7 Council, was one of those that uh, had a lot of questions for the Metrolinx representative yesterday. She joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show. How are you doing this morning, Donna? Good morning. How are you? Good, good. Uh, give me your read on what happened yesterday. Did you leave that meeting uh, just, uh, just feeling great about this, that you've got all the information you need about All Day Go now? Bill, you've seen this before. It oh, happens yeah. quite frequently where a bureaucrat will stand in front of, or a politician, will stand in front of a, uh, an audience and make a presentation, and there's nothing in it. And that's exactly what we had yesterday. It was uh, an update which was really rehashing um, plans that are already in the works, that are already on the table, that are already published, that are already available for consumption, and no answers. And a, a gentleman who um, either refused to or simply didn't understand or simply didn't have the answers to uh, questions that he should have been prepared to answer. Yeah, but you would it, think with the position this guy holds within Metrolinx, uh, he does have those answers, or should anyway. He should, and if you're coming to Hamilton, I think having answers specific to this area of the GTHA uh, would be one of your, your paramount concerns, but clearly he didn't have the uh, managers who are overseeing these files with him or hadn't briefed himself on the status of a lot of these uh, projects prior to coming to Hamilton. I'm not sure what the point was, because at the end of the day, there was absolutely no information provided that we weren't already aware of, other than the fact that there is no plan. Well, as, uh, for the transportation itself, I mean, it's one thing to say, well, you know, we've done the North End Station. I mean, I, I, I can just imagine what's going through the heads of the councils. Yeah, we know that. We see it, okay? It's, it's there. We get that. I already know about the Highway 20 Station. You already talked to us about that years ago. We get that. When are the trains going to run? It's a pretty simple question. With no answers. There was a, it was an interesting, contradictory response to that very question. Do you have a plan? No, we don't have a plan. Well, how can you, why are you building these stations then? Well, we have a plan, but we don't know when it's going to be implemented. So you have a plan. No, we don't really have a plan. It, and this is the, honestly, this is the type of answer that we were getting. So I started trying to figure out when, let's just deal with the West Go Station, the, um, the lake, our, our own brand new station down in, in, the, in the waterfront. And we have, according to this gentleman and according to the research this morning, and I remember as a, as a journalist covering when they opened it prior to the Pan Am Games, there were two trains in the morning and two in the afternoon. It's a beautiful station. It has parking. And it is our key to, or one of the keys to our waterfront development. But two trains in the morning with, I think we counted 15, 20 passengers uh, per train, uh, leaving from Hamilton and returning isn't enough to really attract Go users. People are also concerned if they miss one of those two trains coming back, their vehicle is down at the waterfront, they have to go somewhere else and, and get off and then get transportation to pick up their vehicle. So it doesn't work. One thing that was mentioned yesterday 
is the plan for all day go doesn't include the West Harbor Go Station. It it will be in the downtown core at the old Hunter Station. Why? Because I know and you know why. They can't free up the line. He didn't say that, but he did say he's working with they are working with Go. It's a complicated you and I both know this dealing with sorry with CN has has, has gone on for years. Um, to release the line. Is it CP or CN that owns the... CN. The it's CN. 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 Uh, they, they have been negotiating purchase of or access to that line for years and have not made any progress. Before you continue to do anything, that has to be dealt with. Because now they are, um, they have allocated funding and have timelines. They say hard and fast timelines for the commencement and completion of three additional GO stations towards Niagara, which I think is fabulous, but you have to have a train on the line. And they have not dealt with the big issue, which is releasing the line from Aldershot. If we have to build a dedicated line, at the end of the day, in my opinion, I think it's the way to go. We need, if, if you really truly want to get cars or people off out of their cars, if we want to address congestion to and from Toronto, we have to provide good, all-day, rapid go service. But you can't do it if you don't have a train. Well, or the proper tracks. And, and anybody who's driven along the 403 over the little while by the Judkins Canal understands that there's some construction going on there. Yes. Uh, and, and they're going to, I guess, build another track there, and that's going to hopefully alleviate some of this stuff. But this is an ongoing problem, and I don't know how many people on council, I, I know you as a journalist cover this for many years, Donna, and, and God, half of your colleagues there have been a fellow of over 20 years, so they should remember this. CN has been the stumbling block from day one on this. And this goes back to to, to when they wanted to develop the waterfront initially, uh, the, the rail yards, of course, that, uh, that abut that fabulous work that's happened on the rail trail. That's because of CN, because they, they won't move on this issue. Mayors uh, Morrow, Mayor Wade, Mayor Deany, Mayor Eisenberger, then Mayor Bertina, and now Eisenberger again, have all taken a whack at this, and, and nobody seems to want to lend a hand to the city here and say, okay, we can help you do this right now. The federal government's kind of saying, well, that's too bad, and the provincial government's saying, well, that's the stumbling block. Why can't anybody get anything done about this? Well, there's no point in really doing anything further with GO until that's dealt with. And there is a solution. We all know what the solution is. It's been bantied about several times, and that is getting, um, or at least one solution, if I may. And I certainly am not privy to any inside information, so this is not, um, you know, I'm not trying to suggest that I ha- have any insight into this. But moving that shunting yard to the um, uh, Stelco area is really the Stelco land, the industrial area that we have that is um, not usable for any other, or it, w- it would fit that use. That would be a win-win for the city, for CN, and for all commuters right to Niagara. And I think we've got to just make it happen. But here's it the ha- problem with that, though, Donna. It's not your decision as a council. Right. It's, it's the feds. It's 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 because really. it, every time somebody's come forward with that, they they talked about Aldershot at one point. They've talked about, as you mentioned, down by the Stelco lines, and CN. Usually, the response has been, "I've been privy to this for the last number of years." But back when I was on council, their answer has always been, "No, we're good where we are. Thanks very much. No, we're fine." Well, you're not. You enough, if you throw enough money at them, I mean, let's face it, that's that's really probably again not privy to any inside information or conversations, but money makes things happen. So that's where it all, it, it, it probably 
all rests with the dollar figure, and that's where the federal government must step in if they truly want to deal with infrastructure and 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 moving bodies and economic development and and um, proper development of our waterfront. Moving those shunting yards is is paramount, and the feds have to play a key role. And I can tell you, Bob Bertina would. He'd step in in a minute. Um, I know he would because he's passionate about that of a all day go service, and he's he's probably. Um, more um, experienced and knowledgeable about trains than anybody I know, except for my father. But um, it, it, so I think that if you've got any interest and in, in support from the federal government, we have to, we have to reopen that file. We have to. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah, but I don't and, even know. I, I understand the, the, you know, the the look that you got from some of your council colleagues yesterday. Uh, and the incredulous response, you know, from from some of your counselors. But the reality here is that not too many of them were very supportive of this anyway. I, to go back to the days when Bertine was the mayor here, he championed this cause, uh, much to the chagrin of a lot of those councils. As a matter of fact, they even censured him from actually going and fighting for all-day go service and for getting the line in like that. Council basically threw him under the bus, if you excuse the phrase, uh, for doing that right now. So, you know, please don't talk to me about the dedication of council on this right now, because they're late to the party on this. Uh, because a number of them simply said, no, we're so adamant about LRT, we don't care about all-day go. And the answer has always been we need both, and we're not working that way. No, we're not. And my uh, and you know where I stand on LRT. I still believe that our LRT is our GO service. And until we get GO right through to Niagara, uh, that should be our main focus. It, it makes sense. Um, I think you're, something is happening. And here's another issue with, I don't want to deal with LRT, but I'm going to raise it. He had no question. He had zero answers on LRT. How can you be a representative at your level um, at Metrolinx and not have any any information on LRT in Hamilton. That was very telling to me. Uh, I don't know if they're not engaged. They don't want to talk about it. Is it falling apart? We haven't heard anything. We will have a meeting on the 29th, um, an LRT subcommittee, and I'm anxious to talk to our LRT representatives. But it was very odd that a person at the level at Metrolinx that he sat at couldn't answer basic questions about the progress with LRT and that's concerning. And now we have Metrolinx overseeing, going back to go, this expansion. When we're building the stations, we're spending hundreds of millions of dollars with no plan in place to put a train on it. it, it it's, it's very um, it's unnerving and it's unsettling. And I do hope council steps up and starts, starts addressing this. We can all sit around and talk about congestion and bike lanes and, and crosswalks and that, but these are fundamental, tough issues that we're going to have to deal with if we really, truly want to address economic development, uh, creating jobs, and waterfront development. They're not easy issues. They're not something we can, you know, solve in a, in a committee meeting, but we're going to have to really put our heart and soul in it and address it. Donna, would Mr. Abay, who is the Metrolinx representative, is he there at your request, the council's request? No, that's the odd thing. They appeared on their own as an update on the 2041 uh, regional plan. The, the reason I'm asking Metrolinx. is because his official title with Metrolinx is, uh, is regional planning director. Director means you're at the top of the heap in that department, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. you, this guy's got to have some sort of oversight in this. And if he doesn't, he's got to figure, hey, I'm going to Hamilton. Maybe I should bring a couple of folks along with me that can answer some questions about this. Clearly, this guy was not prepared to talk about this file. I don't know why they showed up. Either he didn't want to don't. or he wasn't prepared to or they sent the wrong guy. All of the above, perhaps. 
or I'm, I'm not sure what his intent was of showing, bef- uh, showing up before council uh, because there were no answers and there was no, there were no, you know, there wasn't any meat on the bones, if you will, to let us know what, what truly is in place. Is there funding? Well, it was the most bizarre update I've ever been privy to. It was a typical bureaucrat standing in front of us, getting through, going through the motions to appease counsel to check off something else on his checklist. It was not helpful. It was not productive. Uh, and it, I, I think the one thing it has done is it has highlighted the hypocrisy around the expansion of, of our ghost service. We've had the West Harbor Ghost Station open now since the Pan Am Games with four trains. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And at least now people understand that if we're going to continue we, uh, with this GO expansion, and I'll tell you, people in Grimsby are thrilled about the new GO station. And why wouldn't they, they don't be? realize there's no terrain. Why wouldn't they be? I, I, listen, I love the idea when they talked about doing this, this was 15, 20 years ago now, of being able to hop on a, even a GO train here to go to Niagara Falls for the day instead of taking the, the Queen E down to Niagara. It's, it's awful driving that thing on the weekend. I'd love to be able to do that or go to St. Catharines or, or other way to Toronto or whatever the case might be. But, but they're building stations, but they're not apparently doing a whole lot about getting trains on the track. And that's exactly it. And Grimsby has really become an extension of, of Hamilton in the sense that a number of people who work here or work in Niagara or work in Toronto and that are living in Grimsby. And so access to go is, is something that they would be using as a mode of transit to get to their jobs. And that would alleviate, if, if you've ever seen the Ni- Niagara, Hamilton to Niagara, Toronto to Niagara now, is busy almost 24-7. It is congested. It's just it's just the reality of, of what we see now with, with too many cars on the road. And that's why I think these people are hopeful for this new GO uh, train ser- uh, service. But there is no service. There is a plan with no plan in place. And it, it does not make sense to me. And they're not addressing the reality. It'll look good on paper. It's a great um, way to get votes. I went back, and it was 2011 that McGinty was in Hamilton announcing all-day go service, uh, ready and in time, in place before the Pan Am Games. Which Pan Am Games? <laughs> the, ne- the next ones? I, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's unfortunate because it is, a, it is a key to, I think, the future economic development of the city of Hamilton and right through to Niagara. I, I really do believe that we have to have all-day go service. It's it really, it, it's long overdue, and I don't think you would have anybody object to that. People who are working on our plan for our waterfront, we're hoping that this service, we're expecting the all-day go service to be in place. And, and I don't think it should just be all-day go. My, my um, dream would be to have rapid go service from Hamilton to Toronto. In other words, not have the milk run, actually. Could you imagine if you could get to Toronto in 25 minutes? You would use it. People would actually use Go, but you can't do that if you don't have a train. Well, uh, listen, I'd love to see rapid service too, but let's settle initially for any kind of service, and we're still not yeah. there yet. Donna, thanks so much for this. I appreciate it, and I can understand yeah. a lot of the frustration. Anytime. Donna Skelly, of course, the counsel for Ward 7. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Time for the Mayor's Town Hall. It's Burlington Mayor Rick Goldwing's turn this time around on The Bill Kelly Show. Uh, as we talk about issues uh, from the city of Burlington. Good to see you, Mr. Mayor. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Bill. Thanks for having me on. Good. So, uh, how'd the go to council the other day? <laughs> uh, so, Monday evening, yeah, the, the big focus of the discussion uh, Monday evening was the proposal for a, 
a 23-story condominium building uh, with some retail and some office uh, across the street from City Hall at the northeast corner of Brant and James. And uh, this has been percolating for a while. The developer originally applied for uh, 27 stories, and and, uh, our city planning staff uh, worked with the developer to get benefits for the community that they felt was uh, were, were beneficial um, and came to committee and council with a recommendation for 23 stories down from 27 stories and of course the uh, the official plan designation on that property is uh, allows up to 12 stories uh, w- again including uh, community benefits and our draft official plan which is not doesn't have any status yet but yeah. we're going to approve it in January um, the draft official plan, again, is just a draft, so it doesn't have any legislative standing, but the draft official plan was suggesting that uh, 17 stories with community benefits could, could go on that particular site. So in any event, uh, council did vote uh, five to two. Uh, to support the staff direction as the they did at the committee that we as they did it as they did at the the committee and uh, it's done it's over let, let, let's talk about this we had council uh, ward on the program yesterday of course and she voted as, as you did against the proposal right, right. Uh, we talked about the council chamber we talked about the delegations and and uh, by the way I think I mentioned to you on the program before too uh, and it bears repeating for those who, that are used to watching Hamilton City Council. You actually allow delegations at the council meetings itself, which I we think do is, allow that's delegations a good idea. To council, yes, I, I like that. I think yeah. I, I, they'd probably be there all night at Hamilton Council if they did that, because yeah. then all the councilors have to chirp in on everything. But that, uh, you're a little more disciplined in Burlington when that regards. So, although there was a sometimes. lot, although there was a lot of dialogue the other night, yeah. uh, you anticipated this was going to be a, a, an action-packed meeting, though, didn't you? I did. Yeah, no, I, I, I knew. I mean, I, I knew that uh, there'd be many people opposed to this particular direction. And, and, you know, and speaking, you know, broadly about the issue, I think it's a case of um, what height represents the people. And so many people say, we don't want to look like Toronto. So the taller the building, the more uh, perceived Toronto feel we'll, we'll get. And, and uh, I understand it. As much as you want to focus on the, the connection to the street, you want to focus on, you know, the office space that you're getting and the, the public art and the, um, you know, the connect, connection with the street and wider sidewalks and so on and so forth. Um, for so many people, and I guess me included, just to a large degree, it comes down to, but it's too tall. Despite all the benefits you're getting, a good design building, but it's too tall. So um, in any event, uh, I understand the discussion we had, and, and I understand uh, my colleagues that uh, supported uh, the recommendation, but uh, there was a clear process that we followed. There was, a neighbor, there was a neighborhood meeting initially, and there was a lot of balanced discussion. There was a, lot of, there was a number of people, I wouldn't say a lot, but a number of people that supported the direction of a new development on this particular site when we had the, the neighborhood meeting. Um, and of course, there were many, many, many people opposed as well. Uh, and then you have a, a public meeting in the council chambers as a committee meeting, which is really, it's a statutory public meeting that the Municipal Act, uh, Planning Act, needs you to follow where you have a, a, a public meeting where anybody can speak to it. And then from that, you get a recommendation meeting, mm-hmm. uh, a committee, and then from that it goes to council. So that's four meetings that gives people the opportunity to provide some perspective. The challenge is that, yes, we do allow delegations at council meeting, but often when it comes to council, the die is cast. So we had 13 or 14 delegations the other night, and and all except one were not supportive of the project. But at that particular point, 
the die is cast. You know, the decision is, is really made at committee and council ratifies the decision. You can always change your mind. And I've done that. I've done that between committee and council. I've done that before, not often. I believe it. I, I, I can think only think of one time where I've done that. Uh, but it allows you to regroup and consider some different information and you have that option. But typically, the vast majority of the time, a, a counselor that states a position at the committee meeting and then 10 days later or two weeks later, we have a council meeting. Uh, they maintain the position. Because, I mean, with all respect to the people that, that did appear before council and, and had opposing views to this, uh, I'm, I'm going to assume that you didn't hear anything new. You didn't hear anything that you hadn't known before, didn't know before. There's no new information there. There was just, again, that opposition, and they all had their own reasons for that. Uh, correct. We, we, I would say we did not hear any new information. I think we're all very well aware of the the, um, the rationale why people would not want to uh, support it. Um, and if you did hear anything new, it wasn't necessarily germane specifically to, to the development application that we were, were dealing with. So, it, you know, it's interesting you say that Hamilton City Council doesn't allow delegations at at the council meetings when rarely, I, I, I think I was there for 10 years and I think we only did it maybe once or twice. So, you know, sometimes when you say, come on, delegate, yes, we have a process, come on and delegate, you have five minutes to speak to council. Um, you know, we're almost giving people false hope. Where, here's, here's the thing that, and I'm processed because I, I, I obviously my conversation with, with council Ward yesterday, and she was uh, pretty uh, expressive in, in her opposition to this. But she talked about some of the other comments that she got from others in the neighborhood that were opposed to this as well. And uh, one of them was on process and, and suggesting, and I don't know the developers here. I, I, it's, a, it's a company, and, and they've done other developments in this area, I'm told, and, and that's fine. And I'm told they're, they're very reputable, and that's fine too. But when they were asked to come back with a, 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 an alternative proposal that suited uh, what the, the plan was for that area, uh, what a lot of people that had opposition to this uh, were concerned about was they said, well, they basically came up with a, a lousy-looking prototype to say, is that what you want? Uh, with very little innovation, very and it, it looked lousy. It was awful. And, and then, of course, but our proposal is nicer, it's prettier, it's more colorful, it's more vibrant. Uh, it, it was almost like the fix was in. I mean, it, it's because I'm sure you could have hired another architect that could have said, no, show me a, a seven-story building or a ten-story building that would have looked as nice. And I think that only that that's throwing salt into the wound of people that are opposed to this already by saying, "Oh, come on, guys! You know, put the same effort into it that you did for the other proposal," and and a lot of them felt that that just didn't happen. Yeah, that that could be, you know, that that could be, and and yeah, I understand the nothing point. you're responsible for. No, I, I understand the point that's made there, and, and it's interesting. I was I was watching the news last night um, about a development application in Toronto. And a lot of controversy. I read the paper this morning about a development application in Pickering, uh, condominium on the waterfront. A lot of controversy. Um, you know, I think our processes in Burlington are as good as any. Uh, could it be better? Uh, quite possibly, yes. Um, in, in my view, I think it 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 pays off for the developer to have as many meetings as possible with people in the area that are interested and recognizing that you're not necessarily, go people aren't going to necessarily get everything they want, but if there, at least there's a willingness to be open mm -hmm. and, uh, and consider uh, different approaches. Or if you can't consider different approaches, you can state why you're not going to consider different approaches. Yeah. But certainly if it's legitimate back and forth dialogue and communication, and we can have more of that, I would support that. 
but if it, if it's simply to create controversy unnecessarily and and create greater divisions, then I wouldn't support that. But if there's a desire to have more dialogue uh, in a thoughtful way, you know, let's have it. I know that, uh, and you mentioned, Mr. Mayor, that, that you know there is going to be another plan that's coming before council in, in the new year, and it's going to have some pretty direct di- guidelines. But what Councillor Ward talked about is something that I've seen on, on council here at Hamilton, and, and, and I guess you've seen in your years on Burlington Council as well, is precedent-setting motions like this. And the concern is, is this opening a Pandora's box that now we're going to get other applicants come forward and say, well, you did it for them, so you better do it for us too. You know, that's, all, that's always a risk with whatever decision you make. I mean, anybody can grab on to past decisions and try to spin it, and I say spin it deliberately, into their, in their particular favor. Um, I am optimistic about where we're heading in a, for a number of fronts. Number one is we, we will become a plan-based city for inner downtown once we have a new official plan. Our challenge right now is we have an ancient official plan that was really conceived like 15 years ago, and and it's in desperate need of a refresh for the circumstances we're in. Um, So we will, in my view, once we approve that new official plan guidelines for our downtown, we need to stick by it. Um, But it's tough to stick by something that's that's 10 or 12 or 15 years old. Uh, Number two, the OMB is changing. The OMB is changing dramatically. And, and once the OMB does change, and I'm not sure exactly when the legislation is going to pass, but it's imminent, will pass by the end of the year. And once we have the new um, OMB legislation in place, in fact, they're taking away the name Ontario Municipal yeah. Board and giving it another name. Um, but once they, we, we make that transition, there will be much more deference to council decisions as long as those council decisions are in alignment with provincial policy and our own official plan. So the control will go to the municipalities would, once these changes take place. Would this decision that Burlington Council made this week, would that meet that criteria? Um, would it meet the criteria? It certainly would meet the criteria of, of meeting provincial policy and then some because it does have more heightened density than what our official plan says. Uh, currently, so it would more than meet the provincial guidelines, and it would meet the the well more than meet the official plan. So that's a good question under these circumstances, and that's there's a gray area about what the um, how deference will be shown to to council decisions in the future. But I guess I'm looking forward to when we have a new OMB, we have a new official plan, and we can hold our own easier by by uh, saying no, because there has to be deference to the official plan of the city in deference to provincial policy and, ex- uh, and assuming that is the case, then we'll be able to, to hold our own more. No, but it's uh, always up to council, though. If they want to go above and beyond the official plan, council can do that. But it'll be my preference going forward that we stick to the new plan we're going to approve. Under the current rules with the Ontario Municipal Board, uh, anybody can appeal this decision. I mean, a citizen can, not council, because you've already done your work on this and, and a council decision has been made. Right. But one of the people who dissented, and, and that probably could be you know, somebody who lives around the corner, yeah. could file an application with the OMB, as somebody here did with the ward boundary issue, and they're, they're having that, that discussion right now with the Ontario Municipal Board. But just, and, and they may or they may not do that, I don't know, but the caution here. As, as we've talked about with past decisions, you can't just go to the OMB and say, well, I disagree with the decision. You've got to have solid planning oh, reasons you gotta be prepared. why. You, have to you be can't prepared. just say, I think it sucks. I didn't, they, didn't, they didn't give me more than five minutes. Yeah. I didn't get uh, too bad, so sad. This is all, uh, the OMB deals with policy. Yeah. And I'm not going to say it's devoid of emotion, but it's, it's way down on the priority list. Yes. 
No, it does not deal with emotion at all. I would, I would, yeah. I would suggest. No, it, it is, it, it is based on policy, and, and and it's a multifaceted approach, and it considers, it considers current policy, it considers, um, it considers a, a wide range of things: the provincial policy, the places to grow, uh, the provincial policy statement, um, you know, official plan at the region and the city, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it considers many different things. I should point out though that with the changes that are being proposed that will be implemented for the Ontario Municipal Board, once it'll give much more deference to a council decision. So here we have a situation where we have um, a council decision has been made that is not popular with everybody. I think that's an understatement. It's not popular with everybody. So right now, under the current rules, there is an opportunity for somebody who's not happy with the decision to challenge it at the OMB. Mm -hmm. Under the new proposals that will be implemented, that won't be that won't be possible, unless they have information to say council made a, a grievous error. If we did not right, if we did not right, it has to be a, a, an error that is a, that is extreme and more based on process than anything. Yeah, in other words, here's your official plan. Here's this. Here's that. And you guys, you ignored all that, and you went ahead and did this anyway. You might have a leg to stand on. But from what I see, and I've heard from an awful lot of people that are opposed to this project. Uh, it looks as if the council crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's on this. You may not like the final decision, but it looks as if process was followed. I would say process was followed. I mean, I didn't necessarily like the, I don't, I didn't like the result, but I can say that the, the, the proper process was followed. Uh, boy. And that, but that's, that, you know, that's democracy and, yeah. and, and that is, uh, that is the way municipalities work. And, uh, when it comes right down to it, the mayor has influence, but the mayor does not have any authority. And uh, so, you know, I'm in the minority on on this, and uh, doesn't happen very often, but it's happy to happen under this circumstance. Uh, and and those days of simply going to the OMB and getting things overturned uh, may well change as soon as the uh, the legislation. And it's a majority government, so it is going to happen. And I've heard the same story. You, it's probably going to be before their Christmas break. Yes. So the, you know the Walmart situation that happened in Burlington years ago. Uh, you know where you just go down there and I'll get council's decisions overturned. Uh, a lot harder, to, if not impossible, to do. All right, a very controversial meeting. There's a lot of other things to discuss about Burlington. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Mayor's Town Hall, Burlington Mayor Rick Goldring is with us here in studio. Uh, in response to our conversation in the last segment, Mr. Mayor, uh, from Steve, says, uh, on the lakeshore just east of Brant Street, there are three short-rise condos going up. Uh, why couldn't they just build one very tall building? Let, let me just, I know we don't want to talk about high-rises for the whole segment here, but uh, <laughs> maybe, but you did mention about the official plan, and, and maybe we need to step back on that, because I think when I had Councillor Ward on the show yesterday talking about the downtown uh, project, uh, she reiterated what you've talked about on, on the past shows here, too, is that you're not opposed to these sorts of developments. It's a matter of where they go in the city. And that's, that's planning, right? It's, right? it's not saying, sometimes the answer is no, we don't want that sort of development around here. But more often than not, what city councils will say is, okay, we want that kind of development there, this kind over here. That's, that's basically what an official plan is. Yeah, exactly. So what Steve is talking about is the, I believe, the Bridgewater uh, project, which is under construction right now. And it's on the south side of Lakeshore Road. It's right where the old Riviera Motel and the old Dairy Queen uh, used to be. And what is going up there, there's actually three buildings going up there. One is a 22-story uh, condominium. And, you know, people are, some people are upset about this. And this was approved 20 years ago. Uh, and it was meant to be a landmark, landmark uh, development on the waterfront. So a 22-story condominium. And on the other corner, at the corner of uh, uh, Elizabeth Street, uh, is, uh, a, will be an eight-story Marriott Autograph Collection Hotel. 
which will be a wonderful addition to our downtown. And right behind that will be a seven-story hotel. So this has been planned for 20 years. Um, the big attraction for this development, in my view, is it really opens up the waterfront south of the south of the buildings. And there's going to be lots of public plaza space between all the buildings with public amenities and, uh, you know, pubs, cafes, restaurants, shops, and, and so on and so forth. And it will provide complete openness and connectivity uh, to the waterfront. So the area closer to the waterfront is like an extension of Spencer Smith Park. So... I believe we have to be patient, and it'll take some couple of years more for it to be completed. Uh, but I do believe this will add some some value uh, value to our community. And, and that's that's the the I guess the middle ground you're trying to find. That's the balance you're trying to find. And you know we always talk about well you don't want to have uh, you know uh, buildings that are going to prohibit people from not just seeing the waterfront but accessing the waterfront. Right. Uh, and they've done that in other cities. And I know we're having the same debate right now about what's going to happen on Pier Seven and Eight. Uh, just across the bay from uh, from uh, LaSalle Park, of course, and the development that's going on there. And and Burlington Council, to their credit, have been very cognizant of that when it's come to development along that waterfront to make sure that you have access. I guess the ultimate goal, I mean, I, you want to go all the way to the marina in Oakville? I, mean, the, 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 I guess that's a possibility, isn't it? Well, I mean, the waterfront trail, I mean, that's the vision of the waterfront yeah. trail, to have complete waterfront access all the way right around the lake. Yeah. And and in Burlington, we've decided to take an approach where we really accentuate windows to the lake. So we have a number of different waterfront locations that are accessible. So we are already on the east side of Burlington, uh, uh, right up abutting Oakville, we have the Burl Oak Waterfront Park, which yeah. we've made improvements and mm-hmm. we'll continue to make improvements there. Uh, we have Spencer Smith Park. Uh, we have the Beachway Park. Uh, we have LaSalle Park. Well, we don't really have LaSalle Park. <laughs> Hamilton has LaSalle Park, but it's in Burlington, and we get to, to use it for a dollar a year and spend a lot of money on it, and we'll be negotiating that in a few more years. <laughs> um, but we can talk about that later. Yeah. But in between all those different spots, there's all sorts of windows to the lake. At the end of roads, we've opened up the uh, the area there and put in some park benches and a few uh, amenities to make it really accessible for people just to simply uh, take a look at the lake and, and enjoy the lake. And we also have Sioux Lookout uh, Park uh, in Burlington, which is a little bigger than a normal sort of window to the lake. So I think we've done a good job of creating many different opportunities for waterfront access short of a trail right along the waterfront. Steve, thanks for the email, bkelly at 900chml.com. Uh, earlier this week, Mr. Mayor, uh, Finance Minister Charles Souza made uh, an economic update statement in the legislature. Uh, and it was uh, very germane to a debate that's going on right now, but another bill that they're uh, working on right now, which is uh, uh, Bill 138, which is the minimum wage increase up to $15 an hour. Uh, as we all know now, January 1st of next year, uh, the minimum wage will go up to $14 an hour, and then the second phase of that increase will happen after that. But we all know about the pushback from uh, from businesses, from chambers of commerce, uh, the Ontario Chamber, and, and, and the other chambers, of course, have all uh, chimed in on this and expressed some concern about the impact this is going to have. So the government announced a number of what they think are uh, mitigating measures that they're going to put in there, and the, some tax breaks and incentives and things like that. My concern, uh, and I, I brought this up yesterday during our discussion on this on the program, was that governments are going to be impacted by this, too. The provincial government employees, municipal employees, are also going to be impacted by this. This is going to have a large consequence to budgets, yes. especially at the municipal level when you raise minimum wage like this. Uh, but I didn't hear anything from the government yesterday about how they're going to help you as a municipality deal with that. 
Did, uh, any any insight into this? No, I, absolutely. And I've been involved in this issue right since the get go. Because you're on, you're on the board at AMO. I'm on so the board on, on AMO, and this is a major concern to municipalities across the province. That uh, an, another piece of provincial legislation that is imposing additional costs on municipalities, and here we have one. And Do you ever get the some feeling sometimes when you bring this up that they, gee, we never thought of that. Yeah. Well, no, exactly, exactly. Because I have raised it with other yeah. with other uh, you know provincially elected officials, and they that's what they said. They didn't think of that. So, um, in any event, you know, we've done the analysis based on the original proposal, and, and it's not just the minimum wage that's the impact. It's it's having part-timers make the same as full-timers. Yeah. Um, that has an impact. Yeah, that, and, I mean, that's the hot-button issue with the minimum wage, but that's a long bill with a lot of different right, parts and, to and it. Th- and then there's the whole issue that uh, – uh, the implication of part-time getting full-time. So we have volunteer firefighters in the city of Burlington and, and who get paid very little. I mean, they really are volunteers for all intents and purposes. They get paid a little bit of, of, of money, but a, a very small amount. So one of the original concerns was, does this mean that uh, that uh, volunteers have to become get the same pay as full-time uh, firefighters? And recently this week, uh, the province has said, no, that is certainly not the case. Another major issue we are concerned about is is the on on call issue. That if you have employees on call, you have to pay them uh, for being on call, even though they were hired and they knew that that was part of their job and part of their their salary would cover them uh, from being on call. And you think of our, our fire chiefs, you know, fire chief and deputy fire chief, for example. So the province has recently said that no, that is not the case. They have given us some relief there. So originally we were earmarking that this would be an almost one percent tax rate increase for the city of Burlington to address all the uh, proposals that were in Bill 138, the Fair Fair Wage Act, or whatever whatever it's called specifically. And as a result of what's been announced this week, the impact will be less. We haven't costed out yet exactly, but originally it was going to be about $1.4 million. I suggest it'll be uh, below a million dollars when we recalculate. So it's good, but there's still an impact. There's still an impact of about two-thirds of a percent of a tax rate increase as a result of Bill 138 that has been imposed on uh, municipalities. And I don't believe that municipalities were the target. You know, municipalities are very good employers and treat their people exceptionally well, and I don't believe that municipalities were the target. However, we got caught up in it. And and the problem is here now is uh, obviously he's, or at least they think they have anyway, addressed some of the concerns as far as business, but the sand's running out of the hourglass right now because, I mean, January 1st is when this thing comes into play, Mm -hmm. and it's going to have an impact on next year's budget. Oh, it is. It it is. Uh, Preliminarily, it it was going to be about um, two-thirds of a percent. Uh, tax rate increase. Now, with the changes they're proposing, we'll see what it is. But there still will be a there still would be an impact. Nine zero five six four five thirty two twenty one. Burlington Mayor Rick Goldwing with us here in studio. Uh, Heather on email b kelly nine hundred chml dot com. Why isn't uh, Burlington Council getting more involved in the school closure issue? Well, I mean, we've had lots of discussion in the community about the school clo- closure issue. The uh, but I, I sure I assume she's working or talking to us specifically about the high school issue. I, right? I'm sure that's exactly what she's what she's talking about. So, um, uh, you know, that was the the program and accommodation review. W- w- you know, happened uh, over the last year, and the board made a decision in June about which schools were were going to close. And I think every member of council has meetings with uh, residents about whatever their concerns are about the particular issue. But recognizing that this is a provincial issue and we have a school board, we have an elected body that's that's elected to make these decisions and we let them make those decisions. It's their job to make the decisions. It's not our job to make the decisions. And I have been critical of the process in the past. 
Um, and if it was my process, I would have done it a lot differently. Um, but it wasn't my process. It was the school board process. And I respect that level of government to do what they're supposed to do. One of the things that, because uh, we've <clears throat> talked to a number of the parents involved in this, obviously, and uh, I, I get frustrated by it. The government has responded, not municipally, obviously, but the provincial government, because this is their call. It's an education ministry thing is they've put a freeze on this. And they said, you know what, maybe when the system doesn't work that well. Maybe we need to review this. So we're going to put a freeze on all of this right across the province. But they're saying to Burlington, but you guys go ahead, because uh, you're already a little further well, they, down they the road. Well, they put the freeze on after the decision was made. Yeah. So, right, exactly. They put the freeze on after the decision was made. I guess. But, but if I were arguing against that, and, and somebody's going to pick up the ball on this, uh, my argument simply would be, you've already admitted that the system was wrong. So, in other words, the system that allowed the board to make this decision was faulty. So why did you allow this one to go forward? It's going to be a very interesting debate. You know, that's a school that's a school board issue. Yeah. And if the school board wants to revisit it, uh, they can revisit it. They're the only um, elected authority that has the ability to revisit these issues. Uh, and again, I, I understand the the frustration because every city in, in the province, every town in the province, I guess, is going through this right now when it comes to school accommodation reviews and, and the and impact that it has on community. And and you've seen this happen, of course, in Burlington, as we have here in Hamilton, is that schools are, are more than just bricks and mortars and more than learning institutions. They're, they're community hubs in many instances and right. in, in neighborhoods. And it, it really is a disruption uh, to, to the neighborhood, really, uh, when these sorts of things come along. Yeah, and, and I think the focus, you know, going forward has to be what what does happen with the land and what does happen with the facilities for for schools that are uh, destined for closure. That's that's where the community discussion should be focused on. You mentioned uh, when you're here in the last time for one of your town hall meetings uh, about seniors' issues, and I, you, you've actually been been very active and proactive in the city of Burlington and dealing with some of these things right now uh, with the mayor's committee and a number of other issues like that. What's the latest on what's going on? Well, uh, last uh, last week, uh, Councillor Paul Sharman and I hosted a, a number of community leaders uh, to hear from some people from the state of Michigan, from Detroit. Um, you know, somebody from the Presbyterian Villages of Michigan, which which runs five thousand retirement home units uh, across the state of Michigan. We had uh, somebody from the Pace Program of Southeast Michigan, uh, Pace's program for uh, accessible care for the elderly. Um, and we had a great discussion with them, and uh, it was simply meant to educate people of what's happening in the states, and can we use it in Canada? Can we combine care? Can we combine care in housing? And can this care help people stay independent much longer? I think that's the objective of the provincial government. But the challenge is so many of the services that are offered to seniors are limited, and they are actually fragmented. And you have to go through more to more than one source to acquire the services. With this PACE program, it's a portal that you get access to everything you need through one window. You get access to transportation to medical appointments. You get access to occupational or physiotherapy. You get access to nutritional counseling. You get access to respite care, um, you know, for your caregivers. Uh, there are so many different services and programs that are accessed through this one window approach for the one portal. And, and we believe we have an opportunity in the city of Burlington, in the region of Halton, to try this as a pilot in, in Burlington Hall. How we'll difficult see. would it be to implement something like that? 
Uh, well, I mean, it, it involves the provincial government. If it, involves yeah, any, if sure. it involves any level of government, there, there are some challenges. We want this to be community-led. So as much as, you know, Councillor Sharman and I are involved and we're leading the discussion, it is uh, other people from the community, from other not-for-profits like Habitat for Humanity and the Carpenter Hospice. And we, we had a representation of our service clubs. We had representations of the private sector. Um, we also had representation from city and regional government, particularly regional government, because they're involved in ser- senior services. Sure. They are involved in housing. Um, so we're, we're planning our, our next step with this. But this clearly is not a government issue. This is a community issue that we need to all work on together. And I guess ultimately I have a vision where a not-for-profit will be created that will create um, different forms of seniors housing in our community. How, how big is this project down in Michigan? I know you've, you've, you've been down there, haven't you? Well, the, the Presbyterian uh, retirement homes like, is like 5,000 units across the state, uh, and I forget how many different uh, facilities they have. We had a tour of one particular campus, which is a joint venture of this PACE program, the retirement village, Presbyterian Villages, uh, or Retirement Villages of Michigan, as well as United Methodist Retirement Villages of Michigan, where they've where they partnered and joint ventured to have, under one roof, they have different levels of of housing and different levels of care, as well as this PACE program, which provides access to people beyond the housing and in the neighborhood to have the services that they require to help them uh, be healthier and help them stay out of the healthcare system uh, longer than they might otherwise. It's it's a great idea and a great program too, and obviously it's going to take a great deal of coordination to get it done. But, but we're be- we're not ready for any announcement yet. We get a lot of <laughs> we have a lot of work on this. A lot of growth. Uh, we got a minute or two left here. I want to talk about Grow Bold first of all. Sure. Yeah, Grow Bold. So that's the theme of our uh, official plan. And uh, if you go to the city website, Burlington.ca, uh, and uh, you go to the grow bold, or growbold.ca, you can get all sorts of access for information. What we're trying to do through the site is provide some access to information and some background about why we are where we are as a city and as a region. And recognize we talk about immigration and the fact that immigration is increasing to 340,000 in the next few years, which I think most of us would, would support as a, as a good thing uh, economically and, and otherwise for humanitarian reasons. Um, but that is going to mean it's going to put strain on the infrastructure in the greater Toronto Hamilton area. Area. If, if 170,000 people move into the area every year as a result of immigration, and then of course the province is, is restricting in how we can grow. They want us to be more focused, and I think we think that's a good thing. But the challenge is uh, we're becoming more densely populated, and so we need to do it right. And but anyway, on the on the website growbold.ca or through the Burlington.ca website, we provide a great deal of background information about the rationale of, of why we are where we are and what we're doing, why we're doing what we're doing, uh, as well as the next public meetings on the official plan because the, pri- the program uh, of developing our new official plan is coming to a close. We have an open house uh, tonight at the Art Gallery of Burlington, I believe. Uh, and you go to growbold.ca, you'll be able to find out where all the other meetings are so you can get up to speed uh, as to where we're going as a city around land use planning and transportation planning. There's a, a philosophical discussion that's going to have to take place, and it already started, obviously, in Burlington, uh, because everybody, I think, sees the, 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 the benefit of what the province is suggesting that we do here. But change is difficult sometimes, because a lot of people say, yeah, I'm all for change, as long yeah. as it doesn't affect me. Exactly. Exactly. I, I'm, you know, the city of Berlin has had a choice, and I guess I, as mayor, had a choice. I could have said, we don't like this, and we can just accept it begrudgingly and, and, and push back as much as we can, recognizing we're still going to get it. 
We're still going to get the growth. So I decided that I think it would be much more prudent to look at this as an opportunity and put our arms around it and embrace it, just make sure we do it well. Burlington Mayor Rick Goldwing, and uh, of course, thanks so much, as always, for the time on this. We have to uh, run right now. We're just about out of time. Uh, We'll uh, do this again in a few weeks. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. Look forward to it. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.